All right, we're back, or I'm back. I'm your host, Mr. Mike Giant. Uh, I'm switching up the format a little today. Uh, it's just going to be me talking. Uh, no interview, no mix, uh, just me. Uh, I hope uh, I'm entertaining enough. <laughs> uh, today, uh, I wanted to talk about graffiti writing. Uh, my involvement in graffiti writing and my history and my philosophies behind it, I suppose. Um, something, you know, to, to set the scene, uh, I found out just last year uh, from a therapist that I was seeing to help me deal with uh, anxiety from uh, a bout of insomnia that I was going through. Um she helped me understand that I have maybe not a photographic memory, but a visual memory of a sort that she felt was really uncommon. Uh, so it really started to make me uh, really think about memory and think about, um, you know, just recalling some memories uh from my own life and and sharing those and i'm going to try to do that with as much uh depth and detail as i can uh so graffiti writing for me i i suppose it really started when my family moved to new mexico um in like 79 or 80 uh I was raised in upstate New York in a really small town where everybody knew each other. And uh, we moved to New Mexico. It was a very, very different place. Um, we were living in kind of a, a low-income apartment complex at first. And, you know, I wouldn't say it was the hood, <laughs> but uh, it was rough. I was getting jumped a lot by the local Cholo kids. And I remember seeing their graffiti all over the neighborhood. Um, and I'd never seen that before, uh, where people had taken spray cans and uh, were, you know, writing things on the walls, kind of like signage, but signage for their, their gangs usually. Um, but I did find it fascinating, and I certainly found it terrifying as well, because I, I knew that the kids writing the graffiti were probably the same kids that were jumping me um i remember specifically too my mother telling me at some point we were behind a shopping mall or something and saw some gang graffiti and she pointed at it and said michael if you ever find yourself in a place where there's lots of this writing you need to get the hell out of there <laughs> so it definitely uh it was intimidating you know um uh, later on I think a really crucial year was 1984. I would have been in seventh grade, uh, middle of junior high. Uh, I was kind of a, a diehard metalhead kid at that point, had long hair, wore uh, heavy metal tour shirts every day of the week. Uh, but the movie Breakin' came out, uh, and it had some graffiti in it and a lot about hip-hop culture, which was new to me at the time, new to the world, really. Um, maybe not new to New York at that point in 84. It was already well-established. Um, 
but for us kids in New Mexico, it was pretty mind blowing. Um, also that same year, um, the book Subway Art uh, came out uh, and it detailed uh, the art of uh, graffiti on the New York subway system. Uh, a lot of us graffiti writers refer to it as the Old Testament. And there's a book that came out after subway art called Spray Can Art. And uh, we call that the New Testament. <coughs> Excuse me. I just smoked a joint. I don't have COVID. Relax. I'm going to drink some tea here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, 84 was a a big year. I remember, I remember seeing subway art at the local bookstore by the University of New Mexico, um, but I, I didn't have the money to buy it, um, and it felt, it was interesting, but it just felt like it was a very New York City thing, and that it wouldn't really uh, work in a place like Albuquerque. Uh, but in, I guess two years later in, uh, ninth grade, so I was at Del Norte High School in Albuquerque at the time, um, but there was a, a kid in one of my math classes, and he was real hip, he was from the East Coast, uh, he made me laugh out loud quite a few times, he actually even got me kicked out of math class because I laughed out loud so much. I wish I could remember his name. He was cool as fuck. Um, but he had the book Subway Art, and he had uh, learned how to draw graffiti lettering like that in sketchbooks. And I was always drawing as soon as I could hold a pencil. I think everybody around me knew that, oh, yeah, Mike draws. Mike likes to draw. So, uh, so I really befriended... Uh, this guy and he kind of tried to get me into writing graffiti um but again i just couldn't all i was seeing was art on subway trains and i was like we don't have subway trains in albuquerque i don't i don't get how this would work here you know so i i didn't really give it that much thought but i definitely started to see a lot more hip-hop graffiti on the streets that was done in a very very different way than the gang graffiti that i was seeing um it was it was obviously different a lot of the hip-hop graffiti like the letters were filled in and they were using block letters and they were using 3ds and most of the gang writing was kind of what we think of today as cholo fonts um but you know to be honest a lot of it was old english too Lots and lots and lots of old English. I feel like the the highest form of the gang graffiti that I was seeing in the early 80s was um, old English based. Um, so let me think. I went to Thailand right after I graduated from Del Norte High School in 1989 um that was a big trip it was a uh, first time i'd been to a buddhist country and it really kind of set uh a level of interest in buddhism into me at that point um when i got back from thailand 
just before I started college at UNM that like August, um, I remember skateboarding at a, a little ditch um, that people I suppose would still be skating. It's near uh, Carlisle and Manal, but it's, it's, it's a, right, it's like a, a, a little feeder ditch drainage area that goes to the main um, gigantic huge diversion channel that goes underneath the freeway near there. Uh, it's kind of hard to describe where it is. I, I still don't think there is development around it. Um, but anyway, I was, had I started writing at that point? Yeah, so one afternoon we're skating there. I was probably with two other friends. Again, we were probably 14 or 15. And these two guys who were probably 18 or 19 pulled up in a little beat-up mini pickup truck. And uh, they hopped out. Um, I think they cracked beers uh, <laughs> and grabbed their skateboards out of the back of the, the truck. And they came over. And we were a little intimidated. We didn't know them. I recognized them, I think, uh, just from skating and from, like, ditch contests back then and stuff. Um, so I knew they were good skaters and that we should probably just back off and let them take over the spot for a little while. And uh, and we did. And they fucking tore it up. They were really fucking good. I, I wish I could remember who, who it was, but they were badass. They skated for, man, maybe... 20 minutes or so with us and uh and they dipped out um but before they left uh one of them grabbed a spray can uh from the back of the truck and he came around back over to the ditch and just a little ways off from where we were skating he wrote some stuff um it didn't really look like gang writing but it didn't exactly look like hip-hop writing either from what I remember, um, but I remember just being really intrigued, because it was the middle of the afternoon, I had assumed if someone was going to do graffiti, they were going to do it in the middle of the night, so I was kind of shocked to see this guy just do it, you know, right in front of, of us, too, um, not that we were going to snitch or anything, but I just thought it was a pretty bold move, and he also had this very, like, directness to the movements with the spray can so I could tell that he'd done it quite a few times before he was definitely not a, a novice um, he knew what he was doing and again as a kid that just was always drawing I was like wow look what nice lines you can get with a spray can if you get some practice I, I really had no idea um, you know it, it just shook me so that stuck in my mind. The next day, uh, after school, I went to the garage and I dug around for spray cans. I know my dad always had spray cans around, just cheap Kmart stuff um, to like touch things up like household products or God, I don't even know what the heck he was spray painting, but he happened to have quite a few colors. And, uh, I went back to the same spot where I was skating the day before 
and just in the middle of the afternoon um there might have been some friends with me but i might have been alone um and i wrote out uptown skate posse and skate was spelled sk8 and if you've got a copy of my uh my last book uh eternal you can find all the images in there um and i'll try to uh dig some of these images up too so i can share them on instagram um when i post that this uh podcast is up so i'm looking at a photo of it here and i if i remember correctly i sketched out the letters I can't remember exactly. Usually you're supposed to sketch out the letters with a lighter color that you're then eventually going to go paint over. Um, I might have done the black outline first simply because I had no experience, but I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, it's about, it's got about six or seven colors in it. Um, I was trying to do fades right away, little things like that. I was doing inline kind of like highlights, but not with white, um, you know, generic mistakes, but it's not a terrible piece. It's only about maybe five feet tall and it's on a, again, a ditch that we were skating. So it was on about a 45 degree angle. So I was able to paint it, you know, just standing up by leaning over, putting my foot on the wall and uh, it all went pretty fast, if I remember correctly. Um, and underneath it, I wrote the names of all my friends who, you know, I considered part of the Uptown Skate Posse. <laughs> um, immediately, uh, one of the kids came back with a can of his own and painted out his name. Uh, he, we all called him Trin. Um, he was a really weird square kid his real name was trinity his parents were super sketchy like culty uh born again christians and i think that he was really uh concerned about seeing his name uh <laughs> at a skate spot that he was going to get in big trouble and he i think we didn't really see him again after that he completely bailed from us but Regardless, uh, it was fun, and my, my friends were stoked on it, um, and I, I slowly but surely tried to get people interested in it. Um, early on, too, I believe at that point, I'm trying to think what year that would have been. I believe at that point, I was working at a place called Windsurf City. Uh, my first job was at McDonald's. I worked in the drive-thru. I worked there for, gosh, maybe a year. Had tons of pins. I still, I think my mom still has the uniform. Still smells like french fries from the <laughs> fucking 80s. Uh, but when I was working at Windsurf City, uh, I befriended, I think this is how it went. I think I befriended Matt Linnell. Uh, and 
he's a filmmaker now. I believe he's on the East Coast, but I'm not sure. I, I lost touch with Matt years ago. But he was my first real graffiti partner. We were, I think, the same age. Um, and he was interested in it as well, but not, but a little like me, intimidated by the gang aspect and wondering if we were going to get beat up and robbed in the middle of the night and, you know, that whole thing. Um, but he was, uh, he was my earliest, uh, partner, um, from doing that uptown skate posse piece. I should backtrack a little bit. I can, I'm starting to recall a bit more, <laughs> um, so I must have started college right then too when I had started writing graffiti um, because I remember being in architecture class. I had a, an evening class that first year. I, I studied architecture was my major, I should say. Um, and I remember having... I don't know if I had paint on me in class or something, but as my fellow students and I were leaving class, somebody asked me, oh, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, oh, I'm going to go do a big graffiti mural off the highway. And they were like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> what? What are you doing? And I, t I this was exactly what I was doing. Um, and f just across the main... Uh, it's like a, a flood channel ditch. It's probably 30 to 40 feet high. They roll right through Albuquerque because of terrible flash floods. Um, people die almost every year from the flash flooding. So there's these huge, huge concrete ditches. Uh, skateboarders know all about it because the ditches are, for the most part, skatable. Um, the biggest ones usually have water in them all the time so you kind of can't traverse the bottom but you can ride the walls and that's fun too but in any case those were the places where I first kind of explored as a graffiti writer and I knew them from riding my bicycle along the uh, bike trails too they follow those same ditches um, so just across the, the main big ditch from where I did the uptown skate posse was uh, a steel uh, warehouse building that had uh, w what I might consider a ridgy side on it. It had, you know, like articulated uh, ribbed uh, metal siding on it. N kind of a terrible thing to try to do a graffiti piece on. It's kind of like painting a ridgy freight train where you have to kind of paint around each of the ridges to keep everything nice and tight. So it's kind of really a terrible choice of canvas you know but I had brought a lot of paint by then I think I was buying paint from Kmart I think it was only 66 can 66 cents a can back then um so it wasn't a huge investment to buy a bunch of cans to go do a piece but um I did a big I think it said is that what I wrote down or not? I think I wrote USP again. Again in colors. Much, much bigger than the first one. Still with all stock caps. I remember it ran like crazy. Uh, I think, you know, it was kind of cool in the evenings and it was metal. And against, again, it was a ridged surface. 
So it was really, really, really messy. I think the, the whole thing, including the filling, was all drips. It was just like a big, drippy mess. From a distance, you could read it. It was, it was okay. But up close, it was incredible how badly I had applied the paint and just couldn't understand how people were getting clean edges um, because it was just, it was awful. But again, friends saw it and were like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know? Um, soon after, I believe, I was skating at the same ditch that I did the first piece in. And I was there with some friends. And up to that point, I was just writing USP, Uptown Skate Posse. I think I wrote my name Mike next to uh, the first one. I might have put my initials <laughs> next to the, the second piece I did. Uh, but one afternoon, we were skating. And at the spot, like sometimes the water gets underneath the concrete and uh, creates these like sinkholes underneath the ditches. And you notice it if you like drop something on it you know it sounds hollow uh, and it really accentuates the the sound of anyone falling including myself I I was doing some tricks and I locked up the wheels and I fell down gave myself a good hipper on the bottom but it shook the ground and it made this like kind of boom and one of my friends looked over and just laughing out loud said dude you go down like a giant because I, I fell really slow and when I hit it just shook and it was just like uh, the light bulb went off above my head and was like, oh, shit, there's your graffiti name, Giant, right there. And that was it. So from then on, I was writing Giant. So it was only maybe two or three pieces in that I started writing that. Um, now, also from that same first spot, the freeway is visible. I think it's the I-25. It's the I-25 or the I-40. Um, and there's walls that back a housing development, um, that face the freeway. And I think I had noticed gang graffiti up there once in a while, but it seemed like the city painted over anything that was up there really fast. Uh, but I, I, I knew it was possible and I knew as a graffiti writer, I was trying to catch as many eyes as possible, even if it didn't last very long. So within, it might've been the third or fourth piece, I hit that freeway spot um, all by myself. Um, maybe, man, I think the wall was about six foot tall and I was doing pieces that covered 20 to 30 feet of distance. So pretty sizable stuff, really readable from the freeway. Um, I'm trying to think. Let me, let me look at these photos. I think there's a photo of it. Oh, here it is. Yeah. So there's a picture, again, from the book of me in plaid pants um, that my mother had made from blankets I got on a Korean Airlines flight out of... Uh, Thailand when we flew home from Thailand my mom made these crazy you know gigantic skater pants out of these blankets they were fucking atrocious but anyway I'm in front of the piece the piece says ANG it's in silver and it looks like it's got a blue outline and I try to do like a shiny burst of light kind of behind it 
um, and there's a character wearing glasses, big black frame glasses, and he's like pointing his hand and and kind of at you, um, at the viewer. Oh wow, that sounded weird. Um, and it's all again all really obvious, say from a car driving by. And next to it, I had uh, put up a banner, like a, a rolled up paper banner that had been unrolled to reveal some writing. And even from the, the get-go of me writing graffiti, there were haters. There were these kids in my neighborhood. Uh, what were they called? They called themselves PBT. And they were more like a little... They were basically one family. This like sketchy family that lived just a few houses from me. And they always had like uh, cars in various forms of repair in their front yard and... They'd always be out uh, drinking beers in their front yard with loud music and stuff. You know, they were, they were those folks. And it was like Playboy something or other, PBT. But they always kind of hated on me. Um, I don't know why. But uh, they had gone out and crossed out some of the, the graffiti that I'd already started doing. And I was like, oh, fuck these guys. So the first time that I painted the freeway, I called them out. And it says... Uh, Yo, PBT, you are lame. You have no talent. Um, quit tagging <laughs> now. And I wrote burn this at the bottom. Uh, super fucking corny. I can already see I'm writing giant, giant wonder. There's a neat tag next to it that I don't remember doing. And it's got a full color background. Yeah. Oh, and I called out... Uh, it says Yo Saavedra, who I think was the mayor at the time. <laughs> I wrote the fucking mayor's name on a freeway spot. I don't know what I was thinking. And I hit up ABC, which was my friend Matt's crew. Matt wrote Circus. So we'd already hooked up at that time by the time I hit this, uh, this freeway spot. I can see here, too, in 1990, again from the book, that there's an A&G piece and there's a, a black fellow's face with an afro and a, there's a gun in front of it. It was something, you know, again, just kind of pulling from the New York uh, graffiti character style and trying to figure that out. Um, but again, in those angled ditches and, uh, yeah, me and Circus did a whole bunch of stuff trying to think at what point i think both of us were starting to think if there was a place where we were allowed to paint so to speak we could really take our time and do some really really cool stuff because we we understood the limitations of uh how long we could work on a single piece at night and uh you know also just how good you could see and you know there's just it's just a, a lot more difficult um so i think i put an ad in the uh university of new mexico newspaper like i classified and it just said uh, something like uh aspiring muralist i might have wrote graffiti writer i don't think i did uh seeking uh walls to paint uh contact so and so I don't even know how that worked out, but I ended up uh, hearing from a photographer that worked for the University of New Mexico, 
and he had discovered this abandoned uh, building site on the west side of graffiti, or on the west side of Albuquerque, I should say. Um, it was the basement structure, actually, of a big building. So when you approached it, it, it you couldn't see it. Um, you didn't really see it until you were right next to it because it was from the, the surface of the ground down. So from the main road, uh, Coors Boulevard, you really couldn't see it. Uh, it just looked like open desert. And there were places where you could park that were somewhat sublevel without going into the place. Um, so again, you know, people wouldn't even see parked cars out there. It was really a, a fascinating spot. I'm not sure if it had been called monolithic uh, from the get-go or that happened later but that's what it that's what it was known as the monolithic and it had uh, it was called monolithic because the there was columns and walls here and there throughout the site that just went to open air because they never put the roof over the top of it I suspect it was utility and underground parking um, but again, it never got built, so it was just open to the sky. So there was all these like freestanding columns and walls, um, kind of like a gigantic uh, gallery in a museum. Um, but again, open sky. And then all the way around, of course, it was you know walled in. And it was super, super smooth, barely any seams. Um, it was like the... I just can't think of a more perfect place for graffiti writers to be able to get loose without worrying about cops and stuff. Um, I couldn't fucking believe it the first time he took me down there. Uh, I had already seen really good graffiti on the streets in Albuquerque, mostly from two zany crew. Um, that's mostly what I was seeing because I was more on the east side of town. On the west side, there was definitely crews getting loose. I remember uh, CWK, Crime Wave Kings, um, my man Ray, uh, Ray Chavez, famous skateboarder. He, I think he was an original CWK. Um, those guys were doing work on the street, and it was real cool. You could tell it was a bit influenced by what they were seeing in subway art. I mean, we were all looking at that and just like, wow, that's the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen. I got to try to do that myself. You know, all of us were thinking that. Uh, let's see. Yeah, CWK, 2ZC. But when I got to Monolithic, I started to see stuff um, by other writers and I think I should back up a little bit again. Before I went to Monolithic, I'm pretty sure before, I had started to see uh, tags by a, uh, a guy that wrote Agree. And it was obviously different. It looked just like the writing that we were seeing in subway art he was using a a different kind of nozzle on the can 
that made it spray fat and it would flare. So, you know, if you sprayed the can from maybe a foot from the wall, it would make kind of a fat circle. And then as you got the can closer to the wall, it, the line weight would get smaller and smaller. So you could kind of make these big, like uh, what we think of as flares, like a fat to skinny kind of pointed shape. Um, but you can also, you know, there's a lot you can do um, with a fat cap. I didn't know it at the time, but that's what they called them. It was a New York fat cap that he was using. And I just remember seeing them around. They were pretty close to my neighborhood. So I figured, dude, you know, lived in the neighborhood, but really didn't know anything about them. Although I do remember seeing some fresh agree tags near, what would that have been? I believe Louisiana and Montgomery in Albuquerque. Um, it, it looked obvious that he walked to the supermarket or the store near there and caught some tags on the way, just the, the way that they were placed. Um, and I remember driving by there and I saw this, this kid that was about my age. He was dressed what I thought of as strange, um, real like, I don't know how to describe it. It was just different. He was from New York. Um, and he was with this little older lady who I assumed was his mom. But for some reason, looking at him, I was like, that's a Gree. That, that, you know, this graffiti is not from around here. That dude doesn't look like he's around from around here. I just passed some of his tags. And he looked me dead in the eye as I looked at him as I went by. Almost this like, I don't know, it was the weirdest thing. It was almost like, to me, he was looking to be recognized, you know? Um, but again, I, I, I wasn't really tripping. I, you know, I, I suspected that was him, but I wasn't so sure. So anyway, I get down to monolithic with this photographer from UNM. And there's, there's fucking pieces down there by this guy, Agree. And I'm like, holy shit, this is legit, real New York graffiti. What the hell is it doing here on the west side of Albuquerque in the desert in this abandoned basement structure? <laughs> I just couldn't fucking believe it. And there was also pieces by this guy, Doc. And again, they were different too. He was even cleaner with the paint, was using colors differently, was using much different lettering styles than Agree was, but it was obvious that they were hanging out together and vibing and doing stuff. Um, they had a crew called All Time Kings. I th I'm not sure if Agree brought All Time Kings from New York or that was a crew that he started once he got to Albuquerque. But, I mean, from my first visit to Monolithic, it was obvious that ATK was the crew that was running shit. You know, I mean, there was still really, really dope stuff from other people and other crews, but the ATK shit was just fucking mind-blowing. So, if I remember correctly, I kept, uh, I kept writing, um, I kept 
going to monolithic a lot to do pieces i would usually go in the morning during the week so there would be nobody there um i kept missing agree and doc over and over and over we would be there at different times later on i learned that they're not really morning people so it made sense that i never ran into them <laughs> but uh in 1990 i so this was just the, you know, basically still the first year of me as a graffiti writer. I went back to London. I had been there one time before in 87 on my first trip to Europe. Um, when I was in college at UNM that first year and, you know, just started writing graffiti, the local newsstand across from uh, UNM uh they carried magazines from all over the world i would go in there every saturday and or sunday and just dig and look through maybe a hundred magazines and maybe buy one or two and i always thought it was cool that the the guy that worked there would let me dig through stuff for that many hours it was almost like a library to me but they had uh magazine uh, skateboarding magazines from different countries and there was one from england I can't remember the name. I wish I could. But it was from England. It was skateboarding. And they had a classified section. So I sent them a letter. I might have sent them American currency even. I don't think the classified ads were free. But, uh, it, you know, I sent it to them hoping they would print it in their magazine. And they did. And so in the classifieds in the back, I know you don't remember classifieds, but like they were like little advertisements, usually right around the last page of a magazine where small companies or individuals could put little ads in affordable. Um, and it was just usually text, just black and white. And it was just in columns, just like an old newspaper. And mine just said American skateboarder, would like to visit London, need a place to stay, and someone to show me around, something like that. I'm sure I worded it a, a lot more clear and precise because you only had a certain amount of letters that you could use. Um, but I, I got one letter back maybe, fuck, four months after I sent out the classified ad to England, four or five months, a kid named Tom Brogan replied, and he invited me to London and told me I could stay with him and his mom. It was just him and his mom in a house. His dad had passed away, um, but he'd be happy to show me around. And uh, so I went out to London for two weeks, I believe, in 90. And the first week I was with my mother and we did touristy stuff. We went to like shows on the West End and uh you know, toured around and stuff. And it was really fun. And the, I think the last night we met with Tom and his mother, Honor, and my mom and his mom vibed. So they were relaxed about me and Tom hanging out and me staying with them. Um, so that worked out. And so Tom took me all over the place. And one of the places he took me to was um, Camden Town in North London. And uh, it had this like uh, pyramidal uh kind of flat top skateboard spot i think it's called can loops 
and we used to skate there a lot. I love that spot. Um, but that's like kind of a hip neighborhood. There's lots of markets. It's really popping on the weekends. And for the first time, I heard electronic music there. Uh, and I should say more like, I mean, I'd heard synthesizer music and stuff in movies for years and years and years. But I'm talking, I guess, more electronic dance music. Uh, again, 1990. So it was mostly acid house. And again, I'd never heard it before. It took me a bit to get used to, but I just saw everybody in London vibing on it so hard um, that I, I got a little hooked. And I, I bought tons of uh, mixtapes uh, from the vendors at Clap or at uh, in Camden down there. And uh, when I went back to Albuquerque, I was, you know, just so stoked on that music and just knew that it kind of didn't exist in the States at that point, um, at least not in New Mexico for sure, you know. But I had all these tapes. So I remember listening to the college radio station in Albuquerque, KUNM, 89.9 FM. And uh, on Friday nights, they did a show called Street Beat. Uh, and they played hip hop and um, from like 10 to 12. And then usually from midnight to 1 a.m., they would play this electronic music, like dance music. Um, I was... Be became a, a huge regular listener simply because it was the only time for one hour on one station one night of the week that you would hear this kind of acid house music and uh i called them up i think soon after discovering them and told them that i had brand new mixtapes from london and they immediately invited me up to the station on a Friday night to meet them and to exchange tapes. They made mixes for me with the stuff that they had. Um, and at some point, they let me get on the air. I don't know why or how that happened, but they let me get on the air. And uh, I gave shout outs to the graffiti writers. Um, you know, I can't remember. I ended up being on the air quite a few times um, that year. Um, but after that first time, while I was still in the studio, actually, that first time, um, we got a call to the, the radio station's number, and it was Agree, who I hadn't met yet. You know, I suspected I'd seen him, but I hadn't met him, so I wasn't sure. And he asked to talk to me. And so he got me on the phone, and I was so stoked. I really already looked up to him so much. And he had this for real heavy Brooklyn accent. I, it made me laugh out loud, but it was real. I'd never heard anybody talk like that. And uh, yeah, he was like, yo, dude, we should hang out, bro. Like, <laughs> let's go down to Monolithics. You got a car? Come pick me up. And I was like, oh, shit, this guy's for real. So that's exactly what I did. Uh, the show was on Friday night. On Saturday morning, I went to a grease house and picked him up. And he was super friendly. Uh, he was obviously stoked to meet me, which I was super flattered by because at that point, my paintings were terrible compared to his and Doc's. And immediately, he's like, yo, let's go get Doc. 
And I was like, fuck, I get to meet him today, too. This is insane. So we hopped in my uh, beat up skater mobile. It was a 1978 Mercury Zephyr that I think my dad paid 500 bucks for. And it was literally covered inside and out with skateboarding and surfing stickers and just all kinds of awful stuff. It was missing a back window. It was a beater. I got nasty looks from cops all the time in that thing. But anyway, me and Agree, we're off. We go to get Doc. Um, he's living in an apartment complex off the highway, and he was going to UNM as well. I you know, just didn't know it. And uh, my first impression of him was a little sketchy, too. He was a little crazy. Uh, I don't know when I first met him what his involvement with drugs was. I had very little interaction with people that did hard drugs at the time. He definitely drank a lot and was just kind of a wily, sketchy white boy from Venice, California that had a criminal past, and that's why he was living kind of hiding out, uh, living in Albuquerque. Um, a real character, but he liked me right away too. We vibed. To me, they were fellow artists, so I didn't give a shit like what their personal lives were about at all, you know? Uh, I was just psyched. So we went to Monolithic uh, together, and I already had a few pieces in there. I was using all stock tips, but I was filling things in nicely. I was going big. I was using buff paint. Um, that was something the photographer guy, uh, I remember, mentioned to me that people would come down with rollers and like latex house paint, and they would kind of prime the wall. Uh, before they applied the spray paint so the colors would come out better because if you spray on bare concrete much of the paint soaks into the into the wall so it, it loses a lot of its vibrance and I just was like wow I had no idea there was that amount of prep involved and that much paint and all that kind of stuff but I, I ended up doing it um, at the time you could get these five gallon buckets of kind of a khaki color uh, from the city of Albuquerque. Uh, they were only five bucks and they were basically the city was collecting paint from all different sources and they just made this kind of generic mix and it had this kind of, like I say, a generic kind of khaki color and it was what they used to co cover graffiti all over the city and they would sell it um, to regular folks, like I say, for five bucks for five gallons of it um, and we used the same paint to prime walls, you know, to do our graffiti, ironically. <laughs> um, but that was the hookup, man. So it was on as far as just buffing walls out beforehand. It was so cheap. Um, so the first time I went down there with Doc and Agree, they wanted me to paint with them. And I fully honestly did not feel worthy to paint with them I, I knew I wasn't even remotely as good I knew my shit would look whack next to theirs and I didn't know how to use the caps they were using I, I was just getting introduced to all that and I just flat out refused to paint with them but they ended up doing an AEGNT DOC 
Um, so, so they, you know, it was a Gree giant dock and they did the giant piece in the middle for me. And I just sat there and watched and shook my head like, fuck, how are you guys doing this? It's like, it was like fucking magic to me. Um, they were just so, I don't know. It was just such a direct, there was very little sketching. It was just like, boom, jump right into it and, and knock it out the park. And it was, uh, they did it so fast and so clean. I, yeah, I just couldn't believe it. But when they got it done, they, they walked over to where I was sitting watching and they were like, listen, man, we want you to be in ATK. We want you to write with us. And I was just like, man, what the fuck are you talking about? I, I suck. And they're like, dude, we'll teach you how to paint. Like you're already doing it big. You just need some guidance, you know? And I was like, fuck, well, I'm flattered. Yeah, let's, let's fucking do this. So from then on, I had a real formal apprenticeship in graffiti writing um and you know was just getting really really excited about it i was all of a sudden in the best crew in in town and i'd only been writing for maybe a year um but i had been drawing my whole life i had been drawing skateboard graphics and selling uh grip tape slices that i would hand paint to other skateboarders kind of like grip tape stickers so you know i i kind of knew how to make lines and paint and whatnot so i wasn't coming out of nowhere but i don't know that was that was such a big deal to be in atk and uh so we, we started painting a lot more together regularly um we definitely both agree and doc were of the thinking that uh for every let's say nice fancy piece of big colorful graffiti that we do at a place like monolithic where we can do it during the day we should probably do five or six or ten things on the street to kind of balance things out because you, you needed to have notoriety on the street first and foremost so i would say i would say every single night for a few years there I was going out um some nights I would go out with the grease some nights with doc some nights with both some nights with the kids in my crew I had started a crew called AOT um always on top is what it stood for um I had been writing ANG before that artists not gangsters but I only wrote that on a few pieces and realized kind of how corny that was and unnecessary and kind of uncool <laughs> um so i started always on top um for one reason i had for that that name was i'm so tall i could usually go to any graffiti spot and do tags above everybody just because i was so tall so i was we would call that topping when you do that and I would sometimes go through whole yards and just top the whole yard with my tags. So any photo of any piece on the, the thing would have my tag in the background, um, which is just, you know, just tactical. Something you're trying to do. You're trying to get up. You're trying to get seen. But always on top was just uh, was some of our, you know, our thing. Also, you, you just want to remain on top. If you get dissed by somebody, you got to take that spot back. You got to get back on top, you know um 
I have a buddy in El Paso that has a AOT uh, tattoo. Uh, I think he's the only one that got the crew tattooed on him. And I'll tell that story later, but I had to dissolve that crew over some beef with AWR many, many years later. Um, but back to Albuquerque and ATK. Uh, we were already aware that monolithic couldn't be the only spot where we could flex during the day um and started really kind of looking around i remember agree mentioning to me that you know we need to find some new spots some spots you know say that we could maintain just as a crew like just atk only yards and uh our shit would get painted over a lot less by the toys I think he figured if we did that. Um, as a a skater, I knew the ditch system really, really well. And uh, also as like a, a cyclist too, I would go through a lot of the irrigation ditches that weren't skatable. I would just bike through. And often many of them would end up in a uh, highway that followed the, the middle of the, of the highway system. Um, so they were good spots to access walls along the highway to do graffiti on that I had discovered just from riding my BMX bike through there as a kid. Uh, one of those spots was uh, right next to Winrock Shopping Mall. Uh, I think it's still there. I don't know if it's still called Winrock, but any of the locals should know the spot. Uh, it had little bits of graffiti here and there in it um but nothing major it was kind of visible from the parking lot of the mall but it was again it was a sub-level square walled ditch where the top of the ditch was at the ground level um so it was kind of hidden and it had a big turn in it too so if you were looking down the ditch from the top depending on where you were in the curve you could be seen or not so it was kind of a good spot for you know what we what we needed was like a, another monolithic kind of a thing uh i took agree there i think i was the one that took him there the first time and we walked it and he just kept shaking his head like this is it this is it this is it and I was like, you, you feeling it? You like this spot? And he's like, yeah, dude, this is going to be our spot. We're going to call this the all-time kingdom. And we're going to only let ATK people paint down here. And if we see anybody else down here, we're going to jack them. And I was like, fuck yeah, dude, let's do this. Let's set this shit off. So we got the whole crew together, one down there one weekend, and fucking just took it over. It was just all of a sudden a full-on wild-style gallery open to the public you just had to be courteous and cool and don't fuck around and it was all good to go check that shit out um we weren't automatically aggressive towards anybody that came by there while we were there um but if you were a writer from a rival crew or something there were definitely occasions when people got hurt down there because also it was a place where there wouldn't be any witnesses um so some terrible shit happened a few times, but I wasn't really around for any of that. Uh, I just know stuff happened. But 
it was a fun, fun place for years and years and years. We had all kinds of visitors come down there. I remember Saki from San Diego came to visit and uh, he got loose. I'm trying to think who else. Zor and Rafa, agent from Chicago, Too Hype, Reek. Um, I think we took all those guys down there over the years. Um, trying to think when did that happen in man i imagine 1991 um i don't even remember how this worked out um agent zor and rafa from chicago were driving across the country and I had I already I might have already been trading photographs with agent because um, that's the only way you could get uh, pics of graffiti back then because there weren't magazines for the most part there wasn't YouTube there wasn't the internet so we would make multiple prints of our graffiti photos and send them all over the place to trade with other people uh, I think through Espo uh, Steve Powers, uh, who I was trading flicks with, he got me in touch with agent in Chicago, if I'm remembering this right. Um, he let me know that he was going to be coming through Albuquerque on this road trip, basically a racking trip. They would just steal uh, paint all along the way. They went all the way to L.A. and then back to Chicago over the course of, I think, a week. And... Uh, when they stopped through Albuquerque, we hosted them. And uh, again, I think if I remember right, we met them at the Frontier Restaurant or took them there and mentioned to them that we could take them painting right away. And it was still, I think it was still pretty early in the evening. The sun hadn't been down that long and I can't remember who came up with the spot, but it's a public swimming pool and it was about to be closed for the winter. Um, I think it actually closed that day. So it wasn't going to reopen again until the spring. And one of us knew it might've been a guy that wrote act, uh, Paul, I, I forget, but we took everybody there. There was probably, eight writers total and we hopped the wall and then we're in kind of this walled enclosure and a big you know swimming pool in the middle and we just started picking spots uh we all did pieces full color nice big pieces and then we did tons of throw-ups and tags and blockbusters and we basically painted the entire place um and you know, it was just one of those spots like people would tell you, yo, a bunch of graffiti writers went and hit this pool, dude. It's going to run for months. You should go check it out. You know, you couldn't really see it from the street. But once you did hop the wall, it was just like, holy shit, look at this. It was awesome. I love spots like that. But through meeting them and painting with them, we had a connection to Chicago. And I believe in... I guess that would have been maybe the next year, 92. Um, 
myself and my partner Vez went to Chicago and uh, and painted with those guys. Um, And that was a really, really fucking fun trip, too. I remember Agent was really uh, wanted by the Chicago Vandal Squad for all the graffiti he'd done over the years. He had, he basically, from what I saw, had more pieces, like full color pieces on the elevated lines in Chicago than any other writer that I saw. There might have been other writers that were up more with tags and throw ups and stuff, but I didn't see anybody that had as many pieces. And I'm more of a piecer, so I was really into that. Um, but because of all the damage Agent had done, he didn't act like a graffiti writer. Like at the time, it was pretty common. Like you could kind of see a graffiti writer from across the street and recognize that that's probably a writer. Almost like you could look across the street and see a kid in a baseball uniform and be like, oh, he's a baseball player. Or a skater kid that's got like the hole in his shoe from doing ollies. You know, it's pretty obvious little signs, you know. But back then, if you had big pants, maybe paint stains on your hands, maybe little streaks of colors on your shirt. Sometimes kids would have tags and things on their backpacks or on their hats, you know, things that made it pretty obvious. Uh, again, graffiti writing was a, a big worldwide phenomenon at the time. It was all over TV news. It was, it was a, it was a big thing. Um, so when I met agent, it was interesting cause he tried not to look like a graffiti writer proactively. You, you'd see him and you'd never think that he frankly did anything illegal. He's this kind of shorter Puerto Rican guy. Uh, from the north side of Chicago, and uh, he got over. You know, it was to the point that he was so paranoid about the Vandal Squad. I remember that at his house that he lived in with his parents, um, he didn't have any spray paint there or any sort of graffiti, anything at the house. He had like a a storage unit kind of a thing, I believe, just a a quick walk from his house, maybe around the back, where he kept all of that stuff. And I just thought, wow, that that's serious. I had never worried so much about things like that in Albuquerque. We didn't have a a vandal squad that was organized or motivated enough to be doing house raids like they were doing in Chicago on the regular. Um, But I do remember... I might have had my first tattoo at that point. And I remember meeting Agent, and he had the uh, logo from the Krylon spray paint company and on one arm and the Rust-Oleum company on the other. It was the only sort of little hints that he might be into graffiti writing. But again, they were hidden away high in his arm. Um, he was so slick. And I felt really lucky that we knew him, um, and we were in DTE crew with him which was a a real honor down to earth and uh but at the same time we were we we had met uh Zor and Rafa and they were from the south side of Chicago very very different vibe um still Puerto Ricans for the most part um but just a different different vibe more like downtown versus uptown and uh they had a crew called SB spray brigade and they put us in that crew too. So it was really fresh, you know, to be in 
you know, basically what we thought of as the top two crews in Chicago, even though we lived in fucking Albuquerque. And we were really, really stoked to rep those crews for those guys. I had a, a ton of fun in Chicago. I remember uh, we went to a rave in a, it looked like an abandoned warehouse. Um, and it was maybe up on like the sixth floor or something. And I remember it, it was, uh, was that that same trip to Chicago? I just remember a lot of people had guns at that rave. A lot of the guys, um, a lot of the graffiti writers were carrying guns because they were also sometimes drug dealers and gangsters. There was a lot of crossover in Chicago. Um, but it was really, uh, it was exciting and fun. I remember the girls being really cool. The music was really cool. Um, I remember meeting a guy that uh, writes Lone. He was a friend of Agents, and he was up all over Chicago, like super hard. I was impressed. And we went to meet him. I believe he was living in a basement apartment. And I'm so tall, I had to bend my head down to walk around in there. The, the ceiling was so low. Um, but he was a career thief. And he was racking things from big stores and returning them for cash or for store credit. And sometimes, uh, he, you know, he would hit the same place so he couldn't keep going in to get these refunds and whatnot because they would have gotten hip to his his system um so he would enlist friends to, to return items for him and then they would get a cut of the money from the return and that's what uh we ended up doing uh for a loan i th i I sure think Vez was with me. Maybe I wonder if he remembers this story, but I feel like I remember returning something to like a Nordstrom's or something for loan and it got us some money and it paid for some paint and food and stuff. And it was really slick because we didn't really have to, I, I didn't have to do anything. I just had to return the item. And I knew that the guy at the Nordstrom's was in on it. I think he was getting a percentage of the, the money returned as well. It was this whole criminal thing. I thought it was fascinating, the rack and return market. Um, let's see. Chicago. I'm trying to think of what else we got into there. Chicago. I remember we f went to a paint store in a neighborhood called Jewtown. <laughs> and there were guys selling... Uh, porno movies on the street just as you were driving by they had dvd boxes like yo you want some porno what's up what's up you know and it's just like fucking sketchy <laughs> uh but agent took us to this store that had a bunch of spray paint in their basement that he was allowed to go dig through and they had a bunch of rust-oleum federal safety green i think i still have a can of it it's from the early 70s um but they had a ton of it in this uh, basement of this old paint store. Uh, I remember Agent got tons and tons of really valuable collectible uh, cans out of that place and was doing a nice little uh, business uh, selling and trading those. Um, so after, let's see, this is 91 Chicago and then back to Albuquerque. Uh, 
trying to think what was happening in those years. I guess those were the years I started writing WESK, W-E-S-K. I was getting known kind of street level as giant. A lot of people knew who I was. Um, A lot of people, especially at the college, knew who I was. So I wanted to do a lot more tagging. Um, But I just kind of knew I couldn't write giant because it would get traced back to me pretty quick. So I just came up with WESK. I knew I wanted a word that ended with a K because I had friends that had uh, uh, names that ended in K or R, and I'd always loved the little, you could sweep out that bottom stroke of the K or the R and do all kinds of fun stuff with it, um, stylistic things. So I came up with Wesk, and I was also at the time really fascinated with uh, one-line tags, so you never... You just start the can and just go, and it's all in one line. You do the whole name. So I figured out a way to do that with this word Wesk. Um, And I started hitting all over Albuquerque, mostly at my college. Um, I remember at a certain point I was out tagging Wesk, and I saw two security guards from the University of New Mexico approaching so I hid and watched them walk by and uh let them get out ahead of me and decided just to follow them um just to see kind of where they would go and I ended up following them for maybe an hour and they walked basically around the entire campus um so I felt like I kind of knew their route, you know, and uh, the next night I went out with a can and I waited for them to come by and I followed them again, but I caught tags the whole time. So, you know, I, I it was almost like I wouldn't do a tag unless I could see them, you know. Uh, so, again, we did the whole route of the campus and uh towards the end of their route i dipped back to my uh i think i was in the dormitory at that point i might have been living off campus um i might have been but in any case uh i can only imagine the horror (laughs) on the faces of the security guards when they did that route again and realized you know i had tagged the whole route you know right under their nose uh There was one night also during that time that uh, they were redoing the main library at UNM and there was big construction fences around this gigantic crane. And I was out with, I think, four other friends and we were all skating and tagging and probably drinking too much, being a little too obvious. And uh, at some point... I was like, I want to climb up on the crane and catch a tag, you know, on the uh, control box of the crane all the way at the top. And they were like, cool, we don't want to do it. So we'll hang out (laughs) while you go do it. So I climbed all the way up this crane um, just on the, you know, the the ladder that's underneath it until I got to the. you know, where the, the workman goes into the, the 
workbox kind of thing, um, the cab, where they can then control the crane from way up high. But of course, the, the, the uh, door was locked. So I had to physically climb out onto the, the rigging uh, support structure of the f fucking crane itself, looking down about four or five stories right to the ground uh, and reached out and uh, was able to catch a west tag on the cab of it. Um, and then just as I was done and I put the can back in my pocket and was about to climb down, I noticed that my friends that I could see were getting accosted by UNM security officers. And I thought they were getting busted. Um, it sure looked like they were getting busted. So I just tried to climb down from the crane as as quietly as possible to not attract attention my way and got down and went out the back way over a fence uh, to get away. Maybe, actually, I, I think I hung out within eye shot from a distance to see what happened. And eventually the security guards left and left my friends there. And I was like, oh, shit, rad. So... I went and gotten got to them and asked them what happened and they were like yo yeah somebody said there was five skateboarders together that were tagging and there was only four of us and we denied everything and they had to let us go because we didn't match the description not knowing that you were up on the crane right above them <laughs> getting loose that was one of the the best nights of, of getting away with writing graffiti ever, I think. That was so funny. It was just because one of the guys was missing, and that was me. Um, trying to think of some other fun things from back then. I think it's early on, too, I had made a connection with San Diego. Um, when did that happen? I think in 90, I met a writer, MC Rock. Um, he's from Albuquerque, my buddy Paul, super short dude, real cool, hip hopper for life. Um, he was in, I believe, the Navy, and he was stationed in San Diego. I believe this was in, yeah, again, I think this was 90. I was sending Paul a lot of mail when he was in the Persian Gulf on a boat. But when he was there early on, he was at the Chula Vista tram station, I believe, and ran into Dyes and maybe his brother Chino, um, maybe some other writers. Um, and again, somehow they recognized the signals that you know, the fashion signals that they might be into graffiti. I think Paul may have approached them and said, hey, do you guys write? And they were like, yeah, and exchanged information. And I ended up getting their address from Paul and started hitting them up again to trade photographs and stuff. And at a certain point after we traded photos for quite a while, um, I was able to get out to San Diego uh, I again with uh, my partner Vez um, and I think again that was 92 and 
we had a great time. We drove overnight, I believe, from Albuquerque and arrived just after dawn in San Diego and parked in front of uh, Dyes' house where he was living with his brother and his mom. And we, f- we fell asleep <laughs> in the car <laughs> once we got there. And if I remember right, they, uh, they saw us out front when they got up in the morning and knocked on the windows and were like, yo, what's up, guys? You fucking made it. And uh, yeah, I think, was that that trip? can't remember if we flew there that time because i went to san diego a few times those years but uh we ended up uh really hitting it off with the san diego guys we met uh ciro uh quasar who else did we meet back then zodak Zeno, brisk god yeah there was so many writers that we met back then we painted at the Euclid Yard, which was a popular spot then. Um, I remember watching Zodak paint a lion smoking a fat joint, and it was the most technical piece of spray painting I'd ever seen. The way that he was cutting things back um, to make the tiniest little shapes, it was just absolutely incredible, and he was so steady and slow and meticulous about what he did and it was just really fucking mind-blowing um we also saw a lot of stuff from Saki that was incredibly mind-blowing like portraiture and um tiny tiny little uh details made with uh spitter caps or it's like when you cut out the the top that comes with the spray can and you cut the inner core out of it you poke a hole in it you cut out a spot for your finger to go so you can still depress the nozzle that's inside but it's kind of like a stencil cap maybe you might call it but you can get tiny little lines but you're having to dump out the excess paint that collects in the top after every line so it's really 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 messy but uh Saki was fucking incredible with those little stencil caps i remember seeing a a, a piece he did in spring valley uh, here in San Diego, uh, and it had a portrait of a baby, uh, which was kind of crazy to see on a graffiti wall. And uh, off on the the right side of the wall was this little scene of Jesus uh, in a robe doing throw ups. <laughs> it was just, and it was only like it was less than a foot tall. It was fucking crazy how detailed it was with spray cans. He was just maniacal about it it was really 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 inspiring and uh we also got uh put down with aerosol psychotics crew which was another huge deal for us in albuquerque you know me and fez were in crews from san diego and from chicago as well as albuquerque that was like i don't know that felt really good to be repping all these different places um i remember too when I was coming up with Agree, uh, he would tell me about all the people that he knew and all the people that he was down with. And once Vez and I started traveling and meeting other writers in other cities, uh, we would mention, oh, you must know our friend Agree. He's in a crew with you. And they would be like, who? Agree? Who's that? You know? And kind of slowly but surely, we started to realize that Agree had 
said that he was down with people that didn't know him and nobody else really in albuquerque knew that or cared um we we didn't really even care either but in the end agree knew that we knew he was lying about a lot of stuff and it ended up causing some uh friction between agree and i uh in particular we were really really tight but he started to kind of separate himself from me and it created basically two camps in albuquerque the kids that followed agree and the kids that followed me and they were very different kind of kids for the most part um but i think it was after one of those trips to san diego i got back and the locals had told me that agree was gonna cut off my pinky finger <laughs> and i was like what the fuck like we were still friends at the time like we weren't hanging out i knew he was talking shit but i didn't realize it had gotten to that point and uh i remember he was doing a uh like a uh, a painting exhibition kind of live painting thing at the new mexico state fair and all of his minions his crew of kids were there and uh i think among the graffiti writers it was already like oh shit it might be on between giant and agree and so kids were really interested in what the fuck was going on so if i remember right i think vez was with me we went to the state fair again i hadn't seen agree in a while um but i'd heard the rumors and as soon as i walked up i could tell his crew of kids was like oh shit it's about to jump off and i felt like oh no like this is this is sketchy <laughs> but i went up to agree thinking you know we have a past we're cool you know we can talk as adults and i was like hey man can i talk to you can we just go somewhere private and just chill and talk and he was like yeah and i we went off to the side and i i asked him hey man i, I hear you're gonna cut off my finger and he's like well yeah, I'm sorry about that, dude. I was at a party. I was drunk. I had seen a thing about the Yakuza. And the Yakuza, when they get kicked out of the Yakuza, they chop off their pinky finger, you know, as a sign that they used to be Yakuza, but now they're out, you know, so it's this bad thing. And I don't know. I said I was going to battle you. And if whoever won gets to take the finger from the other and it just got out of hand and i was like jesus christ that did get out of hand <laughs> that's fucking retarded dude so we just talked and it was you know aired some shit out and we were cool and he told everybody that was bullshit he wasn't going to cut my finger off we weren't going to battle um but that was kind of the beginning of the end i think for me and agree even though he was my main mentor my main man he taught me so much about how to steal you know how to develop letters how to do throw-ups and tags some stuff i never really even learned that he was trying to teach me which i regret but um so in 1993 i get offered a job doing graphics for think skateboards and I can move there and uh 
get out of my hometown and kind of start over. Very exciting. And uh, just before I left for San Francisco, um, I was trying to get in touch with Agree, knowing that I was going to be leaving town, and we still hadn't really talked. We hadn't talked in a long time. He had started hanging out with some real gangsters and doing some real actual violence, and uh, I wasn't cool with all that, of course, but I, you know, I missed the dude. I missed our relationship. And uh, I just wasn't able to get in touch with him uh, for whatever reason. And I ended up moving to San Francisco. And soon after I was there, I remember asking my sister, if you can get me any contact info for Agree, I would really appreciate that. And she did. She was able, he had gotten a job at a Dairy Queen near his house like a legit job. I don't know what happened, <laughs> but uh, he had a legit job for a little while and she gave me the number there and I just was trying to work up the nuts to call and just tell him everything was cool. And uh, I found out he died. Uh, he was in a drunk driving accident. Um, he was in the passenger seat, flew right through the windshield. He was drunk. He didn't have a seatbelt on. He died. And uh the driver survived. I don't know if there was another passenger in the back that might have survived, but they also killed the person that they ran a lead light and they hit. They hit somebody that was driving alone and killed him. And uh, that was a big bummer. That was uh, that still hurts to this day that I wasn't able to just kind of have that talk with Agree and just tell him everything was cool and we didn't have beef and you know, I respected him and respected his friendship and all that kind of shit, you know, but, uh, yeah, wasn't meant to be rest in peace. Agree. Um, so I'm going to end there for now. I'll pick up from 93 onwards. Cause that's when the San Francisco chapter starts and there's a lot of fun stories in there. Um, I hope you enjoyed my little ramble uh, for an hour and a fucking half on graffiti. But, uh, yeah, I hope you look forward to part two as well. Thank you.